All right, if you got a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 10. We're gonna hang out there. Uh, in the middle of it, we'll go to Matthew chapter 10 as well. So Luke chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, and we'll go back to Luke chapter 10. We are wrapping up this series called I See and You, talking about leadership development. And so today we're gonna look at a very, very important leadership principle that is so often overlooked in the leadership development process, but I think it's fitting for us to end with it today because as we talk about how we are, as a church, we're, we're having these I See and You conversations where we're talking with people about, hey, I want to, I see something and you wanna help you develop as a leader. This is a very important principle. And I think also as we're celebrating baptisms today at the end of the service, this is a great principle to understand as well as you understand what you're getting into, all right? Those that are baptized are baptized into the family of God. This is a public declaration of, of them trusting Jesus and following Jesus. And now as a believer, you're put into this same development process, all right? So we're gonna look at this in Luke chapter 10, but as always, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together before we jump in, all right? Father, we just want to stop and acknowledge, as always, that um, we need you. We need you to speak to us. We need you to open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear. And thank you for giving us your word, this revelation about who you are. God, everything we need to know about who you are, you have given us in your word. And I pray today as we open it that you would help us to understand not only who you are, but what you're doing, because so often it's confusing to us. God, it is so confusing to try to wrap our minds around what you're doing in the world. And so, God, I pray that you would apply this to each one of us in a very specific way. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 1. We'll go 1 through 3, and then we'll jump over to Matthew chapter 10, and then come back, like I said, to Luke chapter 10, down verse 17 and 20, all right? So here we go. Let's jump in. Verse 1. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, if you've been here over the last several weeks, that verse should sound familiar to you. We heard Jesus say that in Matthew when he sent out the 12. And so Jesus sent out his first original 12 disciples, and now we are told he sends out 72 more. And so apparently Jesus is kind of, you know, focused on raising up, discovering, developing, and deploying his disciples out into the world. And so we see this again. And he tells them a very similar thing that he told the 12 when he sent them out that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So he goes on to say this, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Verse three, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So again, Jesus, in this principle here, this context, he's sending out these 72, and he's telling them, just like he told the 12, hey, the whole problem in the world today is not lost people, it's a lack of leaders. And as believers, if we're not careful, we so quickly blame the situation of the world on the lost people. I've told you this before, we should not be surprised as believers when lost people act lost. They're lost. I don't know if you've ever been lost, if you've ever been in a circumstance where you can't see, you run over stuff, you trip over stuff, you mess stuff up. And so when Jesus was talking about the harvest, he doesn't say, hey, pray for them. He says, pray for him to send you to them. 
This is so important because I think in church world, if, you, if I were to sit down with you and ask you like, hey, do you love lost people? You would say, because you're a nice you know, Southern Christian, you would say, of course I do. Of course I love lost people. What am I going to say? No, I hate them. Right? Like if I sit down and ask you, even if you're here and you're not a believer today, and, and I said, hey, do you love people? Do you love people out in the world? Of course you're not going to say no unless you're just psychotic, right? Because any believer, any person who follows Jesus is not going to say, no, I don't love those who Jesus came to die for. They are his sheep. It's his harvest. Of course you wouldn't say no. But let me ask it in another way. You say, of course I love them. Do you love them enough to go to them? That's a different question. Because see, when we generalize it, when we say, of course I love lost people, and we just kind of lump everybody into this big category of those that are in and those that are out, and we would think, oh, yeah, of course I love them. But if you don't personalize it, then you're never going to go to them. We were, the pastors were, a couple weeks ago, I was telling you about, uh, we went and, and, and worked on this process of leadership development, and we were hanging out with other churches, and a pastor from another church said something that was so good about this very thing. He said, you know, if you ask anybody if they love lost people, of course they're going to say yes. He said, but the better way to think about it is, think about those that you already love, and they just happen to be lost. Because see, if you think about a person that you love, your kid, your coworker, your friend that you grew up with, a neighbor. If you think about somebody you love and they just happen to be lost, your motivation is going to be to go to them because you love them. But if you just think about the loss as this general group, you're not going to have the motivation to go to them because you'll kind of see them conceptually as just this group of people. And of course, somebody needs to go to them, but you're not going to love them enough because your motivation is a, you're just thinking about them as a group, not as a person. And so I think Jesus puts the right emphasis here when he says, hey, pray for God to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful. It's not that there's not enough lost people to go around. It's that there's not enough leaders to disciple them. And so I love how Jesus tells them. He doesn't just tell them, hey, pray for the lost. No, he says specifically, pray for God to send out laborers into his harvest. And then I love what he does in, in verse three. I've already said this a couple weeks ago. He says, prayers answered, you go. Let's be straight. That's why we don't pray that way. We don't pray, God, send somebody to my neighbor. Because God's going to be like, it's you. <laughs> right? Oh, God, bless my neighbor. Oh, God, you know, take out my neighbor. God, whatever. But if you ask God to send somebody to your neighbor, you're so afraid he's going to ask you. And I love how Jesus does this. He instructs them, pray and go. Uh, one of my professors used to say this to me when I was a freshman in college, and I've never forgotten this. He said, and I've said this before, but he's, he was just talking about the disparity with believers in the world and how so many unbelievers in other parts of the world. He said, Jason, you don't need to pray about whether you need to go be a missionary to them. Just go until you get a no. Just go. So from that point forward, I said, I'm going. 
I'm going wherever. And I told my mom, if it's in Africa, it's in Africa. I love you. I'll see you in heaven, right? Now, as a, kid, uh, as a parent, I'm like, oh, that probably wasn't the best way to approach that subject. But the point was this. I'm going. And so when we were in South Texas and I told my mom, hey, we're going to Georgia, her response was, at least it's not Africa, right? But I said, I'm headed in that direction. I'm going. Why? Because I'm going to go until I get a no. Until I get no, don't go there, go here. But this is how most believers don't live their life. We don't live our lives with this, I'm just going to go until I get a no. We live this, this, this life like it's a no until you make me go. But that's the opposite. And I love how Jesus puts the right emphasis there. He's like, oh, pray, but then go. But here's the leadership principle that he gives them that is so important and yet so overlooked. He says, but behold, I'm sending you out, literally apostling you as lambs among wolves. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with ranching and forestry and farm life, but wolves normally eat lambs. I don't know if you know that. Wolves being very smart, pack creatures, know how to take down not just a lamb, but a whole herd of lambs. Why in the world would Jesus tell them, go, but I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves? I think Jesus was telling them that because, one, he's a good shepherd. And he's telling them, I want you to understand what you're getting into. I want you to understand that when you go out, there are wolves. There are people that are going to attack you. They are going to do everything that they can to kill you, to destroy you to rip you apart, to bite you. There are going to be people that are coming after you. I want you to understand when I'm sending you out, I am not sending you out you know, to a circus. I'm not sending you out for ice cream. I'm sending you out for a mission. And in this mission, if you choose to accept that, I couldn't help it, right, is dangerous. Now go over to Matthew 10 real quickly, verses 16 to 20. Very similar thing that Jesus said, but we get a little bit more information from Matthew. Verse 16, Jesus says this to his disciples, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. You want to know who wolves are? Wolves are men and women. This doesn't just mean men and ladies are like, that's right. Oh, man. No, this is men and women. All right. Beware of people. Why? For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. Let's stop here for a second. Anybody want to sign up? This is when the disciples are like, uh, you said when you send us out. You sure it's not an if? No, it's a when. And you sure uh, it's not an if of like, if they drag us before the synagogues? It's not if they flog us? No, it's when. 
when, which literally contextually means whenever, whenever they do this. And then I love how Jesus says, and don't be anxious. Oh, thanks, Jesus. Don't be anxious. You're freaking me out right now and I haven't even gone yet. You're telling me that I'm sent out as a lamb among wolves. Wolves normally win. And these wolves are literally, contextually, are fierce people. I love how Lecrae says it one of his songs, sheep with sharp teeth. Because there are wolves in sheep's clothing. Some of y'all here are wolves. Here? Yeah, Peter says, from among our own group will arise men and women talking perverse things. What makes Jesus such a good leader is he tells them on the front end what they're getting into. But he also instructs them on how to handle it. Be innocent and be intelligent. Be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. I don't have enough time to get into these. I mean, these would be a whole message into itself. But these two things are seemingly contradictory things. He's saying be serpent-like and be dove-like. Now, a serpent is smart, wise, intelligent. Doves are cute, (laughs) innocent, right? Doves in the Bible portray the Holy Spirit, portray purity. And so Jesus tells them, hey, listen, as sheep or lamb among wolves, you better be intelligent, but you also better be innocent. These two seemingly contradictory things are the two things we need to understand. When we're being sent out as sheep among wolves, you better be wise. You better know what you're getting into, which is why Jesus says it. You better be intelligent. You better understand what is ahead of you. What is ahead of you is persecutions and trials and sufferings. And I think a lot of believers, when we came to Jesus, we came to Jesus under this concept of he's got a perfect plan for your life, right? We we want that Jeremiah 29, 11 life. I got a hope for you and a future. And we're like, yes and amen. Plans to prosper you. Yes and amen. And we're like, uh. I didn't realize this whole prosper business included persecution. Yes, because what he wants to prosper more than anything is your soul. He wants to prosper your spirit. He wants to prosper the inside of you. Long before he prospers the outside. And so a lot of believers come to Jesus under this pretense of I'm coming as long as you make everything in my life go great. I am with you, Jesus. And a lot of people fall off because they think that Jesus didn't keep up his end of the bargain. But here's what I'm saying to you. Read your Bible. Jesus never said that. In fact, he said the exact opposite of that. 
In this world, you will face trials of many kinds. But I'm with you. Peter said in 1 Peter 4, he says, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you as if something strange were happening to you. You bear the name Christian. What happened to Christ? He suffered. And here's the part that I just, I don't get on one level, but I totally understand on another. The part of the leadership development process that nobody wants, but that everybody needs is pain and suffering and persecution and trial and tragedy. As much as we've done our best to develop a leadership development process here, and we have, I said some of it to you last week. We've got, you know, join a team. There's 80% that we're looking at for everybody. So when you go and join a team next service or next weekend, because it's a win, not if, right? When you go and join a team, we'll show you here's what it looks like to be a team member. Then when you join, uh, you become, you're apprenticed into a, a team leader or a group leader. Here's what it looks like. And then uh, this whole thing. So we got this whole process laid out. But you want to know part of the process that you can't learn in the lab, that you can't get in a playbook, that you can't get just from reading, it's the part of the process that none of us want to go through. It's the pain. And we just live in an evil, fallen world. And just like the tragedy that happened this weekend, when a guy went in and literally shot up a Jewish synagogue. And we look at that and we think, where in the world is God? Listen, I can't answer that question specifically. But here's what I know. Jesus told us that we would face these kind of things. And so as believers in Christ, we should mourn with our Jewish neighbors. And we should call evil, evil. And that was evil. But at the same time, as believers... We can never take those tactics. We can never take tactics that Jesus himself would never deploy. We have to remember, we are sheep. And so when he says you be intelligent and you be innocent, what he's saying is you do not take power the way other people do. You do not take revenge the way other people do. You do not walk into circumstances the way other people do. And you fight fire with fire. I love how Martin Luther King said it. Darkness can't drive out darkness. Hate can't drive out hate. Only love and light can do that. And so as believers, what I'm saying is you have to be lamb-like, not wolf-like. And in this weird political age that we live in, a lot of believers have started adopting the tactics of the devil and responding in ways that Jesus himself would have never responded. And a lot of believers are so shocked that we face such persecution. Well, we live in America with religious freedom. Yeah, but you need to understand something. America is a blip on the world stage. This is not heaven. Now, is this one of the greatest countries? Yes and amen. But Jesus told us long before America was ever on the scene, don't be surprised when they kill you. 
Don't be surprised when they flog you. Don't be surprised. Because if they did it to me, they'll do it to you. Now, he goes on, look at this. He says, don't be anxious about how you're to speak or what you're to say, for you are to, what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Now, that phrase right there literally brings me to tears. Why in the world would the spirit of my father want to speak through me? And I want him to speak through me. But here's what you need to understand. If you want the spirit to speak through you powerfully, it comes through suffering. The spirit's power comes through suffering and persecution. So if you want the spirit to move mightily, be ready to be wrecked horribly. These are the two rails on which we run our life. The power of the spirit in the presence of suffering. The power of the spirit in the presence of suffering. So when it comes to leadership development, you want to know why most people don't step into leadership? It costs them too much. You know, we can talk a lot about this country, about the evil. We can talk a lot about uh, you know, how that is perpetuated by the, found, you know, the foundations of the family breaking down, how men aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. But you want to know why a lot of men don't step into leadership? Because it's hard. You, you get to a point where you're like, this ain't worth it. All these people biting at me. All these people just wanting to tear my flesh all these people criticizing me. And this is why people say, you better develop tough skin. But you know what I would say to that? You better maintain a tender heart. Jesus was tough. You better believe it. Toughest dude that's ever lived, but he never gave up his tenderness. And you want to know why God puts you through those circumstances? He puts you through those circumstances to remind you that even though he's gifted you, even though he's given you authority, your identity can't be in those blessings. Your identity cannot be, your joy cannot be in the position and the authority that he has given you as a leader. Your joy has to be in Jesus. Now go back to Luke 10, because I want you to see that when the 72 return, that's exactly what Jesus tells them. Look at this, Luke 10, verse 17 through 20. It says the 72 returned with, what's that next word there? Joy. Let's try it again. The 72 returned with what? Joy. joy. Say, you just can't say that word without, right? Yeah. So returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Verse 19, behold, another, behold, consider this. I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. It's the title of my message today. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. They come back and they're rejoicing 
They returned with joy, the Bible says. So apparently in this mission, even though there's heartache, even though there's suffering, even though there's pain, there's joy in the victories because you will experience the Holy Spirit overcoming the power of the evil one. You will experience that. And so don't hear me say that leadership does not have its victories. Leadership is one of the greatest privileges that God could ever give a human being when he gives us the authority that he said he had in in, uh, Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. He gives us that authority and we go out and in the spiritual world, Satan starts falling like lightning. Jesus says, yes, you have authority, but don't rejoice in that authority. And see, as Christians, we are so weird like, well, I know that one. But I think this verse highlights the weirdness. Let me give you what I mean by that. Jesus says, I've given you authority over serpents and scorpions. They will not harm you. You know what we Christians did with that verse? We became snake handlers. Like, for real. When I, I never forget it. When I moved out here, and I told people I was... Baptist. I went to Southern Baptist Seminary and they kind of looked at me and they're like, oh, you handle snakes? For real, people said this to me. I'm like, I don't know what kind of Baptist you think I am. In Texas, we don't handle snakes. But then I realized there's like a whole version of a mountain Baptist that's completely different. They'll be handling snakes and scorpions and stuff. And, and, and we take this, we take this verse And we're like, oh, I can pick up snakes as if that's what Jesus meant. As if Jesus says, you can just wield snakes. Contextually, what is he saying? Who is the serpent? Satan. A fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, where God told the serpent and Adam and Eve that the serpent would crush his heel, but he would crush his head. That word there, tread, means to step on, press down with your foot. What is Jesus saying to them? I've given you my authority because I'm about to crush this serpent's head. And when you go out there, you're going to have that authority and the demons will be subject to you in my name. But don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice in the power I've given you. Don't rejoice in in the presence of 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 these miracles that I'm going to do. Rejoice in the person of Jesus. You want to know why that's the greatest leadership principle you can know? Because there's going to be times, there's going to be times when the wolves attack and you face trials of many kinds and you're delivered over and persecuted, and you're going to ask, where is Jesus? I thought he loved me. See, as believers, we love to rejoice in the power. We love to rejoice in the presence, and we should. Jesus isn't saying, don't rejoice in those things ever. He's saying, don't rejoice in those things primarily. What do you primarily rejoice in? You primarily rejoice in the fact that because Jesus crushed the head of the serpent, you are now a child of God. And even though in this life he slay you, 
yet you'll praise him. So as believers, do we move out in power? Yes. But do we move out in humility? Yes. Do we celebrate when God moves mightily? Yes. Do we mourn and do we grieve when it feels like that the serpent is winning? Yes. But we never lose our joy of knowing that even though we might lose this battle, the war is over. The war is over. My friends, this is so important for you to get in leadership. If you rejoice just simply on the blessings, you will be a, an inch deep. If you rejoice only when God moves mightily and you can't rejoice when he doesn't, then what that means is you came to Jesus for what he could give you, not for who Jesus is for you. So leadership is a hard business, man. God will develop you in pain and suffering and solitude. He will develop you by other people coming and crushing you. Because he loves you too much to let you be so shallow. What's going to make you go deep? Down into the roots of who Jesus is? Winter. So if you are here today and you've never experienced the joy of who Jesus is and what Jesus did for you, if your name is not written, then your step today is come to Jesus. And this is where you're like, well, if I come to Jesus, I'm gonna suffer you know, persecution and pain. Listen, you're gonna suffer that anyway. This is why I can stand up as a pastor in even the most egregious funerals, even the most tragic circumstances and say that God is still good because what does it benefit me if there is no God? It just makes that circumstance utterly random and hopeless. But if there is a God, then I can have a deep hope of knowing that even in this, he's still good. How can I know that? Because the worst thing that ever happened was Jesus dying. And if he can work that for my good, he can work this. But there might be some of you here that that's the message that you need. You've trusted Jesus, but you don't understand him. You've trusted Jesus and he's taken you on this journey of development that all it has done is broke you down. I want you to have the hope of knowing today that that is God working mightily in your life to get your spirit and soul to a place that rejoices in Jesus alone. Let me ask you this question. If God never did another good thing for you, is what he's already done in Jesus enough? Let's pray. Father, I pray right now for the men and women in the room that
have never trusted you, who have never come to that place of having their eyes opened and they responded in faith and trusted Jesus. God, we pray right now that you would save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never come to Christ, you've never given your life to him. You've never trusted him. Today, you can respond in faith. You can pray with me, not out loud. It goes like this. Say, God, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place for my sins. I ask you to save me. Forgive me. I give you my life. And those of you that just trusted Jesus, again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed with me and trusted Christ, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women all over the house gonna walk by, put a gift in your hand when they do. You can put your hand down. But then those of us in the house that... Uh, You've trusted Jesus and you rejoiced in the beginning. But if you were honest, over the last week or months or years, you've been mad, frustrated. I want you to hear me say something. Grieving is good. In your anger, in your doubt, in your fear, in your confusion, cry out to God. Be honest about it. And hear the Spirit say back to you, I know what I'm doing. You would have never chosen this road for yourself. That's why I had to choose it for you. I'm developing you. I'm developing you into the woman I want you to be. I'm developing you in the man I want you to be. I'm developing you into the leader I want you to be. And that requires pain. That requires process. It requires persecution. But know that you're in my hands. Father, we ask for your spirit now to move among us. Thank you for loving us so much that not only you died, but you're developing us into the image of Christ. And we don't understand it, but we can have the hope of knowing that you're God and that you're good. And so in faith today, we declare it again. In Jesus' name, amen.